uh, we thank you for your radical love for us, Lord, that you have saved us. Lord, you drew us near to you, and then you saved us, Lord. And, and here we are, your people, called by your name. Lord, we pray that, um, that this morning you would help us to tune out any distractions that might be so that we might focus in clearly on who you are and what you would say. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us insight and understanding into your word. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that the words that you would want to speak today would be spoken, not mine. So go before our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians this morning. I don't know if you were here last week, but Pastor Gary started the book of 1 Corinthians, and and we kind of decided that's what we're going to do whenever Pastor Zeke's out and not sharing uh, we'll just kind of go through First Corinthians together, whoever comes up here and speaks. That way there's a kind of cohesiveness that kind of happens. We're not always in a different place. Not that that's bad, but, um, but it's just kind of nice to always know, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be in one of two places on Sunday morning. So First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 10. Last week, Pastor Gary opened the book of 1 Corinthians, did all the background about how the book's written from Ephesus. And so if you missed that study, you could pick that up. Uh, on the website, and we're just going to pick up where he uh, left off. And so last week we talked about this radical salvation. We talked about being saved and transformed and called to be lights for God in this world and to proclaim Jesus to people. Uh, Last week Gary talked about the, the grace that was given to us, how we've been enriched, the knowledge that comes from God, the testimony of Christ confirmed in us, how, how these people in Corinth came short in no gift, it says, and that they were waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ and really that their fellowship was in Christ Jesus. Uh, but now as we get into verse 10, we're gonna see that Paul has some correction. Uh, after those verses, you would think that the, that the people were rock solid, uh, but there's a difference in what you know, the Bible says we ought to be, what we've been saved from and called to, and then how we actually live. And so we're going to see today how the people were actually living and what needs to change. And so let's read from verse 10. We'll read through the rest of the chapter just to get kind of a bird's eye view, and then we'll come back and focus in. Verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of, a wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God 
through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, the base things of the world. And the things that are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. The title of this morning's message is In Christ Alone. You see, there are so many things that could get our focus off what the main thing ought to be. And the main thing is Christ. And so that's what Paul's going to talk about here. We, we see right off the bat in verse 10 that the behavior of the people is not correct. In chapter 3, Paul will revisit this again, talk a little more deeply about it. And he calls the people carnal. Or, or fleshly. It, it has to do with this, this uh, mind that's influenced by the world, putting the mind on temporal things, base things. It, it has to do even with, with animalistic cravings, right? Just touch and sight and, and hunger and things like that. And this is the first of many times in this book of Corinthians that there's going to be some correction. It's, and I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm, I'm a guy who's in need of correction. We all are at, uh, throughout time. We need to be corrected. And so starting in verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word now, it, it, it's actually an important word because the way it's placed in the text is it's there to set a contrast. If you looked in the original language, it's kind of like a nevertheless kind of word that he's talking about all that we should be in Christ. Remember what Gary talked about last week. All these things we ought to be in and the way we should behave and this is who we are. He says, but now or nevertheless, he sets this contrast. Now I plead with you. And, and this is kind of special to me that, that he pleads. He doesn't demand. He doesn't uh, command, but he pleads. He begs. He's beseeching. He's appealing to people. And I think of Paul the Apostle a lot. And I don't know if you think like I do, but I look at Paul the Apostle and I go, man, this guy is like the best guy in the New Testament. Right, right after Jesus, isn't he? I mean, he's, he is. I mean, you know, it's to the point that his handkerchiefs are healing people at one point. You know, people are jumping into his shadow just to try to get healed. The dude had some serious, like, power. You know, he was close to God, and he could have walked around. I mean, you look in, in the maps in the back, and it's like Paul planted all these churches all around the known world at the time. This dude, if anyone had authority, he had authority, right? And, and you know how it is, dads, that when you have the authority, you... you I mean, you kind of lay things down, right? If any of you guys are, are bosses, right? You're, you, you're in charge of people at work. You know how it is. When you have authority, you don't have to go, oh, I beg you, would you please do this thing for me? You know, when I used to work construction, man, it's like, hey, go do that right now. And if you don't, don't come back tomorrow. It's that easy, right? That's not how Paul approaches the people in the church, even though he had authority, 
With this authority, he realizes always that he's a man himself under authority. And so this is how correction starts. Is he, he says, I, I would beg you, I plead with you, and he calls them brothers. He says, I plead with you, brethren. It's this affection that he shows to the people. When he could have just said, you, you idiots, can you please just start? He doesn't do that. He says, brothers, I, I beg you. I beg you, please. And is it, doesn't that make a difference when correction comes in that way? Right? Doesn't it make a difference? Not that it should, honestly. As, as Christians, we should be able to receive correction. We should be able to be told what to do. And, and we, we need to be able to be obedient to that. But it does make a difference. When someone comes after you, uh, what do they say? You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. I don't know why you'd want to catch flies in the first place, but it's the idea of, of yeah, I don't like flies, but, but it's this idea of being kind. And, and there's a difference when someone goes, hey, can you please help with this? Oh, yeah, I'd love to help. But if they try to make you feel dumb or they, or they say something rude, you're like, gosh, I really don't want to help you right now. And so Paul knows this. He's just opening the letter. He wants them to read the rest of it. So, so he's got to kind of, you know, maybe butter him up a little bit. And so he says, he says so, so you know, now I plead with you, brothers, and, and in the name of Jesus, I, I do this. Not in my own authority of who I am, though I am Paul, you know. He says, but that you would speak the same thing, that, that, that there would be an agreement. He's going to speak of unity here. That, 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 that there needs to be a unity among the people. And he says, and that there be no divisions among you. That word division is the Greek word, uh, it's schismata. It's where we get our word schism from or a division. But it's actually a lot stronger word than just grouping people and separating and segregating people. It really means to tear, to rend, to really rip something apart. He says, I don't want there to be these tearings among you. I don't want things to be ripped apart. He says, but that you would be perfectly joined together. This perfectly joined together, it could be a medical term, setting a bone back in place or putting back something that was dislocated. And in all this, he says that you'd be joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. He says, here's the thing, guys. We need to get our minds back to where they belong. And you know, this, is, this could be really difficult. And it's funny to see how natural division is among people. Isn't it natural to divide? It's totally natural. Like you look at the world and there's a bunch of different countries, isn't there? We're not all, we don't all go, you know, let's all just be together. No, we, we appreciate that there's different things. And it starts all the way back early on. You know, I remember on the playground this starts, doesn't it? That that's where the division starts. That you have some kids that like kickball, so they go play kickball. And then they naturally try to sit by each other in class because they have that thing in common. Right? And then there's some kids who, who maybe they, they're more studious and they like to read. And so they, they read during recess. And so they kind of group up with each other. And they're, they're, uh, they're, there's a group there. You, you go to high school, you get into the quad. You guys remember this, right? Being in high school, it's like there's these people over there and these people over there. And you don't go if, over there if you don't belong over there. Right? And, and people do that. We, we, we form groups at work, this happens, that you find some people you have something in common with. Uh, maybe you like sports, they like sports, you start, start talking about sports. Well, you naturally gravitate. Division is actually very natural. 
It's very natural. We, we get into that. It, it happens uh, on a national scale, right? We have blue states and we have red states, you know, that we, and we identify ourselves that way. And worse is that this happens in the church, that, that you could unite on certain things that are not the main things, and that causes us to be divided. That some within the church would, you know, it's like, hey, I'm into sports, you're into sports, we're kind of into these things together, and we gravitate into these little groups, or, or it could happen uh, with ministries, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but it's like, well, I serve in children's ministry, oh, so do I, okay, well, we're kind of a group. And then the people who serve in youth ministry, this happens every church, they're like, well, we're the best, because we're the best ministry in the church, the youth ministry. <laughs> And so, you know, nobody knows our problems. Nobody knows how busy we are. Nobody knows how hard it is to take a bunch of sixth graders to camp. And so we're the toughest ministry, and we, we go in this way. And he says, man, this thing's not good. And in verse 11, he gets this report. He says, it's been declared to me by those of Chloe's household. Now, we don't know a lot of who Chloe is. We don't have a lot of information on her. But she somehow has these ties. As, as Paul's writing from Ephesus, she has these ties to Corinth. And so, and it could be work-related that she's got this tie from Corinth to Ephesus and the church of both. And so she's going to give this, this information over. And Chloe's household is saying that there's contention. When he says that it's been declared, it, it, it means that this information has been made clear to him. It's not just hearsay. It's valid stuff. It's a credible source. And, and she says that there's contentions or there's quarrels or there's discord among the people there in Corinth. And if you read Galatians chapter 5, we like Galatians 5 for the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, and the rest. But just before that, we have the works of the flesh. And in that is discord, dissensions, this stuff. And so this stuff should not belong to God's people. And so in verse 12, we see what the contention was all about. And it's, it's really ugly. He says, now, I say this to you that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And so within the church, people are picking teams of who they want to be more identified with and how they want to be grouped together. Now, this, there's two schools of thought here. Some people think that what Paul is doing is just using his name and Apollos' name and Peter's name to, because really what was happening in the church is the people were choosing sides within the church. Kind of saying, you know, I'm, I'm with the good bands, you know, or I'm with the liches, or I'm with the Floreses, you know. And so Paul, in order to protect the, the, these guys, is trying to be very gracious and says, he throws his own names out there. I, I don't know that I really believe that, but some people think that. Uh, more probable to me is that it's actually going on. That the people are, are actually saying, you know, no, I'm of, I, because the Corinthians were very into intellect. They, they were very into identifying, and they loved a good orator. They loved a guy who would get up and speak something real nice, and they'd go, oh, yeah, woo us with your words, man. We want to hear it. And they'd go out, and they'd want to hear it. They'd go, oh, I like this guy. I'm like this guy right here. Here's the guy I want to be like. And this is the guy I did. And so whenever he speaks, I want to hear that guy speak. Well, that starts creeping right into the church. That some of the guys would say, oh, well, we're a Paul, man, the original guy who came here, you know. Because Paul would say, you know, you might have 10,000 teachers, but you've only got one father. And Paul's like our father, man. 
That's who we're of. And he's got this missions mindset and he's a church planner and, and that's how we want to we wanna be. And other guys go, well, I, you know, I'm more of Apollos. Apollos is dynamic speaker. You know, when he speaks, we move, you know? And, and, again, and we get excited and there's passion and there's power. And then, and then some guys go, no, nah, man, I'm a Peter, man. I'm a Cephas. You know, he, he, he predates even Paul. He was with Jesus, and he got, you remember when they told him, on this rock, I'll build my church. That's the one I'm identifying with. And Peter's got the keys to the kingdom, too. And then you got this other group who's probably sitting in the corner, I imagine in the corner, who's going like, this is so stupid. You guys are so stupid. We're of Christ. And there's this arrogance about them to say, you guys, you like, you have let this creep in. But, but they've distanced themselves from the rest. It's not wrong to be of Christ. That's who they should be about. But all of them, he's speaking with these questions, these rhetorical questions uh, that he's going to say in just a second, man. And it's like, it's ugly. But what this really looks like is like a bad sports team. You know, that you could have all guys wearing the same jerseys, but they're doing different things. You've seen this, right? It happens in LA all the time. It does. It does. This is the type of people we are. They're like, let's just draw the big names. Let's get these guys. Let's everyone come to the beach and come hang out. And it's cool. We got nightlife and we're a cool place. And you get all these people that come in and they're on totally different pages, right? They're not complimentary to one another. That's why our sports teams haven't been doing good because they are on different page. But I remember if, if you ever watched this movie called Miracle, it's a hockey movie about the 1980 Olympic team. And this coach is real serious with them, and he, and he starts asking him, hey, where are you from? Who are you? Oh, I'm so-and-so, University of Minnesota. Oh, I'm so-and-so, University of Boston. I'm so-and-so. So he goes, man, you know the problem is that you guys are still playing for those teams trying to all play on the same team. And they're fighting each other, and they're, you know, everyone's taking sides. And, and he, he ends up saying this thing, that the name on the front is a lot more important than the name on the back. On the front, that's the name of the team. The back is your last name. He goes, you don't play for that name. And so you see this within the church that people have got their own agendas. They're doing their own things. And, and in application, man, this is like, this is a tough thing when we look at ourselves and when we look at the church. Again, within the church, we could, we could identify ourselves by our ministries or our hobbies or whatever we like. And again, being in youth ministry as long as I was, I, we kind of like carried ourselves a certain way. And I look back and go, man, we were idiots. Because we had this group of people, super gifted, super talented, loved the Lord, but we, we began to almost become our own little thing. And, and this is like the knock on most youth ministries. They become their own little church in the back who thinks they're better than everybody else. And it's no good. It's no good for the church. You know, larger than that, though, we could behave this way in a community. Hey, you go to church? Yeah, I go to so-and-so church. Oh, you go to that church? Well, they're a Christian church. We read the Bible. Yeah, but you're like, and man, I'm going to say, now please don't misunderstand me. I am Calvary Chapel to the bone, man. I can't not be Calvary Chapel. I love Calvary Chapel. There, there is something in Calvary that I think is so healthy in the way that we teach the word of God. I think it's super healthy. But something's happened. And, I, and I've watched it. Again, I've grown up in the church subculture, man. I've watched church from a lot of different angles. And there's this thing that we could have. Well, we're Calvary Chapel, though. 
we're the only ones who do it right. And I don't know, and again, don't, again, I'm Calvary, man. I love Calvary. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. But we could kind of develop this arrogance and say, no, 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 we're the ones who do it right. I heard someone say recently, and it kind of grieved my spirit, that, that it's like, you know, I think the only thing God's going to use in these last days is Calvary Chapel. I go, really? I, I don't know if I believe that. Because somehow the church managed to work for like a really long time. And then Calvary came in the 60s or 70s or whatever. I don't know. But we could have this thing. We go, well, we're, we're Calvary Chapel. You know? And we're even better than the other Calvary Chapels. You know? And I've seen fights within Calvaries, right? That it's like, well, we're not Calvary High Desert or we're not Calvary Apple Valley, or we're, but we're Calvary Cathedral. Yeah? And we're different from those guys. Oh, those guys down the hill. Oh, geez. Man, it, and it, it could creep in just like that. And you, do you know why? Because we all want identity. That's why. We all, don't we all want a place where we belong? A, a place of legitimacy to say like, no, this is who we are. This is, I'm part of this team. Everybody wants to identify with a winning team. That's why everyone's Cubs fans now, right? Because everyone wants to start identifying with Cubs. I've, I've seen more New York Mets fans, you know, in the last couple of weeks. I've never seen Mets fans before. Oh, you didn't know I've been a Mets fan since the 70s. No, you haven't. But we all want to identify with a winner. And so Calvary Chapel looks good, or this church looks good, or that looks good. And so we go, man, that's where I'm identifying myself. That's where I'm jumping on board. That's where I'm hitching my wagon, because we want identity. And Paul goes, man, this is ugly in the church. This is ugly, that we would start making these separations, going, well, I'm of so-and-so, and and I'm of so-and-so, or I I go this, you know. He asks these rhetorical questions in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And you can imagine what they're feeling as they read this. That whole like, oh, dang it. Is Christ divided? No. There's one God. There's one Lord. There's one Spirit. There's this unity that needs to happen. Christ is not divided. There's not these different wings in heaven that it's like, oh, you're in the Apollos wing? Okay, cool, I'm going to go in the Paul wing of heaven. It's a Jesus heaven is what it is. Christ isn't divided. You know, I was praying this morning as I was driving to church, I'm going, you know what, Lord? All those churches in this community who proclaim your name in truth, would you bless them this morning? Would you wake people up and take them to those churches? I want them to be at this church. I know what I'm feeding. I know what we feed on here. I love this church. But that's not to say other churches don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're like apostates or something like that. Now, there's some churches that don't believe in Jesus. They don't, believe, they don't preach Christ crucified. I, I don't really pray for them to succeed. For ones who don't think that salvation is through Jesus Christ, I don't, I don't pray for them to succeed. But for those who love Jesus, why wouldn't we? Christ isn't divided. He says, was Paul crucified? You know, these crucifixes that we have, is, is that Paul on there? No, it's Jesus on there. Paul, Paul, I love Paul. He's such a humble guy. He go, you know, I'm not the guy you're supposed to be, you know, modeling yourself after. I'll be a pattern. I'll be an example for you. But he says, follow me because I'm following Christ. He says, were you baptized into Paul? And in verses 14 through 16, he's going to talk a little about baptism here. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I don't know whether I baptized 
any other. You could imagine, again, because we like identity, we like hooking ourselves up to, you know, successful things. You could imagine Crispus and Gaius in the church. Who are you baptized by? Oh, by pastor so-and-so. Oh, okay. I was baptized by Paul. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty big. It was a pretty big deal, you know. I mean, it was like, it was just short of Jesus' baptism. But, like, you know, you could imagine how they got, you know. And Jesus didn't baptize a lot of people, right? He had his disciples baptizing. And it's probably for that very reason. Because people would be like, you know who I got baptized by? But the funny thing is, this is in all of us. This isn't something that we look at them and go, oh, these idiots. That's in me, right? And again, I don't want to be a jerk here, but but if I stepped on toes already, I might as well keep going. Uh, You know, people would go, you know, they go on these Israel trips and it's like, well, I went to Israel with like Damien Kyle and I got baptized by him in the Jordan. But didn't you get baptized at the last baptism at the country club? By Zeke, you know? Yeah, but that was Zeke and that was Wrightwood. This was Israel, you know? And so, but, but we could do these things, can't we? This is in us. It's so in us to go, man. And so Paul goes, gosh, I am so glad I only baptized a couple because some of you are probably taking that and going, well, Paul. And he goes, man, that's not what it's about. He, he says, you know, I, yeah, I baptized these other guys too. But verse 17, here's a man who knows his calling. He says, uh, but Christ didn't send me to be a baptizer. That's not what I can't. I was sent to preach the gospel and not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. You see, he's getting to what the main thing is. The main thing isn't, isn't who we're identified by over here. The main thing is Christ. It's in Christ alone. It's in, what is that, that old song? Uh, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Uh, everything else is like, like sinking sand or something like that. But he says, this is the main thing. I came to preach the gospel. And what is that gospel? And he, he does even say how he didn't water down the gospel, not even with the wisdom of words. Paul, if you remember, was a brain. Paul had a gigantic, gigantic intellect. But I, I really believe he held a lot of that back so that he might get across the message to people. Not that we rejoice in ignorance or, or we hate education or anything like that, but Paul says, look, I came to preach the gospel and I didn't do it with the wisdom of words because he knew that culture in Corinth that if he was this real heady type guy, this real knowledgeable guy, and he does come to Corinth right after Athens. You remember Athens, what happens in the book of Acts when he goes to Athens and, he, and there's that, that statue of the unknown God and he starts trying to kind of go that way and he's trying to use persuasive speech. And not that it was bad, I don't think it was bad, but there wasn't a whole lot of dynamic ministry that ends up happening there. And so when he goes to Corinth, and they're, they're kind of the same, right? They like the intellect stuff. He goes, you know what? I'm going to boil it down right now. And I'm going to make the main thing the main thing. And I'm just going to preach this message. And what it ends up looking like is foolishness. And, and so he says that in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. You see, this is where unity is. This is where unity is. It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have to fight to keep our minds here. We have to fight, you guys, for unity here. Because division, again, is natural. It's easy to gravitate towards that. But we need to keep our mind focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the business happens. And, and here's one of the things that comforts me. Has anybody in this room ever been kind of like ashamed or embarrassed to share your faith? Is anybody like, yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, it's happened here too. <laughs> that there's times I'm like, well, what if they think it's like dumb? Paul already says that it kind of is. It's not a dumb message, but he says the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The wisdom of this world, guys, and the wisdom of God are totally different things. Understand that now. Understand that now here in this room, because as soon as we walk out, we're on the missions field, and we start sharing with people, and so people go, that's a foolish message. Oh, okay, that's right about on par with what the Word of God says that people will think it's a foolish message. But here's what happens. Check this out. Because we're going to get into just a little bit right now about the wisdom of this world and how it comes to nothing. There are people in this world who have come to realize that the whole way this world works out isn't what they were looking for. They, they come to realize, they come to like to the end of their road. Isn't that how we're all in here right now? Because something happened in our lives that we go, you know what? I was looking for it here. I was looking for it there. But it turns out it's right here because that let me down. This let me down. Nothing else is right. And, and what I find is this. The Holy Spirit is still very good at being the Holy Spirit. That he still knows how to draw men and women to himself. He still knows how to make people sick of this world. And they become sick of this world. And you come in with this message and they go, whoa. I used to make fun of that, but I need that. That's the message I need right now. Well, what is this message? We'll get to it in just a second once we get to verse 23. But he says this in verse 19 through 21. He says, for it's written... I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, <clears throat> excuse me, the world through wisdom did not know God. Where has wisdom gotten people? I can't think of a better example than where we find ourselves today in 2015. That we are the smartest, right, that, than we've ever been. More wisdom than we've ever had. More ways to make money than we've ever had. More wealth than has ever been. And we have all these things. And what do we continually find with people? That it doesn't satisfy, that it's not what they were looking for. It blows me away that, that we see, like in Hollywood, there, there's these, or these athletes, that are, they've got everything you can imagine, and what's the matter? They're still empty. And I won't go into all of it, but I thought it was very sad this last week to see an ex-NBA player who has everything he could have ever wanted, 
but something's missing in his life that he has to go try to find it out in Las Vegas area. It's so sad to me. Why? He's got everything. The wisdom of the world would say, you did everything right. You became a professional athlete. You had all this money. You had all this fame. You could have done this. You could have done that, but something was still missing. And the wisdom of this world now, and parents, you need to be very careful with this. We all need to be careful with this, is that this world is good at discipling kids. And it trains them up, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. That in eighth grade, they hand you that paper to say, if you're going to go to a UC school, this is how you do it. And starting in eighth grade, it's like, I take this class, this class, this class. And then then why? Because then I can get into a UC school. And if I can get into a UC school, then I'll get a good degree. If I have a good degree, then I'll get a better job. If I get a better job, i got more money. If i got more money, then I get my big house. Then I get this, and I get that, and I get this and that. And then you find out their senior year of high school, they send out their application. They don't get accepted to UC. Why? It's already full. And they go, what now? Or maybe it does work out. They get to that next step. They get into college. They go, oh my gosh, college is hard. Oh my gosh, life is hard. I can't tell you. I I did student ministry for eight years. I can't tell you how many kids aced everything in high school, got to college, and they dropped out within a year. They go, the life wasn't what I thought it was. That's the wisdom of this world. That it leads you to a place, and and the wisdom of this world will also lead you to a place of saying contentment is here. And you get to that line, and what does contentment do? Darn contentment jumps another link, you know? And so you got to jump and find it, and it's just just this whole thing of jumping and trying to find it. And that's the wisdom of this world that's saying more, more, more. The wisdom of this world has created a technology that is out of this world, right? Some of you growing up would never even have, have even thought of having a dream about an iPhone. And what's really funny is, I'm guilty of doing this, but there's times, I, I, I'm a Google like theme kind of. I research, I, I want to know that people are telling the truth. And I'd been at the dinner table with my phone like down here doing this number. Like, yeah, right, I don't believe that. See, I don't believe that, Right? <laughs> And we've got all this way to disseminate information and we have all these different things and people fact check even during Bible studies, man, that they're like, I don't, I didn't sound right to me. And, but, but here's the thing, <coughs> excuse me. I've talked to teachers through the years who have taught a long time ago, teach even today. They go, man, something's happened. With all this technology, kids, they don't know how to critically think anymore. My generation formulates thoughts in 140 characters because that's what you put on Twitter. And that's how we think. It's really sad. I'm on Twitter only because that's how I read the news. I subscribe to a few different newspapers, but do you know that I really just read the 140 character headline? It's like, oh, I gotta click on it to read the whole article? That's long, man. (laughs) Where is the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world has dumbed down a generation. And so that's one of the things that we, that we think here and we go, okay, so, so what is it? And it says this, it says that God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. We could see all the way to Pluto. But we are the most distant from God, at least in this country, than we've ever been because of the wisdom of this world. On the second half of verse 21, it said, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God 
is in the business of saving and he does it through faith. Now, this, this is not this blind faith. I don't like that phrase. Oh, it's just blind faith. That's silly, blind faith. What we put our trust in is on something that is concrete, something that, that is sustainable, right? Like, like a lot of us put faith in these chairs this morning when we sat down. Why? Because we believe that Bertolini is a good brand. It makes a good chair. That's why. And that it can hold us. And we put our faith in certain things that, we'll, that, we, that we can trust. And I'll tell you, man, you do your research, and this is what I love about the Word of God, is that this New Testament that we're reading right now is the most credi- cri- sorry, credible literature in all the world. Manuscripts upon manuscripts upon manuscripts that say that this is what Paul actually wrote. And it's off eyewitness accounts. It's not just some blind faith. No, we trust though. And this word faith has to do with clinging to and relying on and associating ourselves with this work. And what is the work? It's the work of Jesus on the cross. And we know that Jesus came. And what is that work? It's the work of saving. If you go to Matthew, if you're a note taker, you could write down Matthew chapter 1. Read the account of when Joseph is spoken to by the angel. That he talks about the kid that's coming, but he says this, you will name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is what Jesus came to deal with, is saving people from their sins. Jesus did not come so that we would have better marriages. He did not come so that we'd have better relationships, so we'd be better businessmen and women, better workers, so we would have a social club to hang out in. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came that he would save our souls because we are sinful people. That's the message. And so that's why he says this in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. They go, Christ crucified the Jews. They wanted to see a sign. They wanted something exciting. They go, a man dying on the cross. That's like everyday stuff, man. It's like an electric chair, you know? It's just, it's just capital punishment. That's all that is. Where, where's the miraculous in that? And, and, and then the Greeks, who are great thinkers, they go, that's, there's got to be more. <laughs> there's got to be more than that. Give me more. It can't be this easy. Even a kid can understand that. It's got to be more difficult. He says, we preach Christ crucified. I have a short story here. It says, let every pulpit rightly say, we preach Christ crucified. A strong church once inscribed these words on the archway leading to the churchyard. Over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel. And the ivy began to grow on the archway. The growth of the ivy covering the message showed the spiritual decline of the church. Originally, it said, we preach Christ crucified, but the ivy grew. And one can only read the words, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus the great man, Jesus the moral example, instead of Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing, and one could only read, we preach The church also had even lost Jesus in the message. 
preaching just religious ideas and social graces. And finally, one can only read, we. And the church just became another social gathering place. All about we and not about God. Jesus said, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Here's the message, guys. Here's the message that we preach. Here's the message that should never leave our minds. That you and I are sinful people. Well, I'm not that bad. One sin, that's all it takes. The word sin, it's an archery term. It has to do with, you know, trying to shoot for a bullseye with a, with a bow and arrow. And if you'd miss that, if you had missed that bullseye, they'd say, sinner, you missed the mark. And whether you did it on purpose or whether you did it on accident, or whether you just missed, or whether you missed by a lot, you missed. And God has set up this, this mark, this standard of perfection. God has said, this is what is allowed into heaven, perfection. And aren't you glad he doesn't lower the bar on that? I am. I'd hate to get to heaven and find out it's just like this. I want heaven to be holy. I want my God to be holy. And because God is so holy, he cannot allow sin into his presence. Well, there's a problem, isn't there? Because we're all sinful people. So what do we do? Well, God had set up this system all through the Old Testament, you remember, of animal sacrifice. And in Leviticus chapter, I believe it's, you know what, I won't even say where it is. It's in Leviticus. Read it tonight. He says it's blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so you would take this innocent animal that never did anything wrong. You put your hand on the head of that animal and kind of transfer your sin, the things you've done wrong, onto this thing that's innocent and you'd slit its throat and that blood would cover your sin temporarily. And the priest would go in and kind of minister on behalf of the people. And all the time he's having to do this. All the time he's having to not only cover his own sin, but cover the sins of the people. And there's this thing. And, and so finally in Hebrews, it says at some point, it says there came a point that the blood of bulls and the blood of goats could not atone for sin. Just couldn't keep covering it. So what does God do? What sacrifice is worthy of a human? A goat is not. A human has to die for a human, but not just a human, a greater than a human. What is worthy of God but God himself? And so that's where in 1 John it says that he's our propitiation. He, he's literally the one who appeases his own wrath. That, that Jesus would come and he would be the one to die a sacrificial death so that our sins could be forgiven. Not just covered, but the Bible uses this word justification, that, that our sins would be not just covered and hidden, but wiped away. That's where every human soul finds themselves, is that we have sinned. And God, with this message that can seem to be foolishness to some, some of us come to a place that go, my sin has overwhelmed me. I have guilt. I have shame. And the message of the cross comes in and says, you can be forgiven of that sin. You can be loved. And, and some people have gotten to a point that no one loves them anymore, right? You've burned the bridges. You're, you're not where you need to be. And, and God says, I offer you love and peace and 
joy and all these things that can be found in him. But it starts out with the salvation of a soul. And that's, and that's the message, guys. That's what unites us all together here is that we, we say, you know, I'm not, it's not I'm of, I'm of here, I'm of there, I'm of this, I'm of that. No, we are of Christ who has died for us, who's forgiven us. Our sins are forgiven. And the Jews are stumbled by that because it looks like weakness. The Greeks, again, they would say, but that's too easy. But for those of us who have been saved, man, it's the power of God to know that we have been brought in a right relationship with our God so that we know that we know that we know that if we were to die today, we would be standing in the presence of God. And hopefully hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, guys, all this stuff ends in a very real heaven, more real than, than us here today. And I look so forward to that day. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. So if you don't know Jesus today, you might be sitting here saying, yeah, you're talking about all this unity. Man, I never had my sins forgiven. Today's the day for that. Today's the day to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today's the day to have your sins forgiven, to be made right with God. Today's that day. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this radical plan that you have made for salvation. Lord, on our own, we're distant from you. On our own, Jesus, we don't know you. Naturally, we don't follow after you. God, many of us in this room today, we rejoice in that salvation. We rejoice, Lord, that you thought enough about us to save us. Jesus, we thank you for coming and, and for loving us and for showing that love by dying on the cross for our sins. But Lord, I, I think there could be some people here this morning, they don't know you. They, they've never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. They don't know their sins are forgiven. They don't know they're going to heaven. And Lord, a message that they never really understood. They always thought it was silly. Maybe even mocked it at times. But Lord, today you would want to draw them near. And so I pray, if that's anybody here today, with our eyes closed, with our heads bowed, if you're here today and you go, you know what, I need to be saved. I need to be saved from my sins. I, I would ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If that's anybody at all in this room today, you go, I need salvation. I just invite you to slip your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. Lord, we thank you this morning that we know you and we love you. Jesus, would you help us to have a joy today in the salvation of our soul. Lord, that we would fight to keep our minds in that place of having you be the focus, of having you be the one that we do it all for. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>